1979. It was Good Friday. What happened was Lufthansa had already went down. That went off like, uh, you know, that went off without a hitch, so to speak. Everything went good. We made a lot of money all the way around the board. And Alley Boy wanted to get me straightened out. So what happened, a cousin of theirs made about 20 guys that year. And he got the okay from his cousin, who was Ali's brother, but he was in the prison. So when Ali Boy went to put me up, the commission turned around and says, no, you made 20 guys, it's unheard of. And he, you shouldn't have even gotten that far. But he says, you could do it another way, which they've done it with a lot of guys. They will go to another family they were close with, say, do me a favor, we want him, mate. you make him with you and you ship him over to us, there's no problem. They went to see Carmine Galenti, he was the head of the Bonanno family. Carmine Galenti was my grandfather's younger cousin, my father's father, Tony the Barber. Ali Boy went and spoke with him. He said, I got no problem with it. He said, but I got to, you know, make sure my cousin said it's okay, meaning my grandfather. So he called up and they were at my house and he's talking with him. My grandfather calls me in. He says, Ali Boy wants to make you. Carmine's willing to make you and his family ship you over. Do you want this? I said, more than anything. Because you have my blessings. Go ahead. With that, we were down in uh, Casabella's. Mike Sabella had the place. And there's an upstairs where they serve people at parties. And they had the, up there, it was Good Friday, 1979. I was up there with Carmine Galenti and the captains and everybody in the family. And they made me a wise guy in 1979. With that, they had a little bit of a party up there. And from there, they shipped me over to the Columbo's. And then I was with the Columbo's. That's how I became made with the, you know, that's how I got made. <clears throat> but I was with the Columbo's. But if truth be told, my, to this day, my loyalty should be with the Bonanno family. But that's where I originally got made. They only shipped me over there because, you know, I, they did it as a favor to Alley Boy. But even Carmine Galanti said, it. he goes, even if he's with us, I would have made him right away. He said, the guy did the right thing all the way around the board. So that's when I got made. What's the process? You go upstairs, do they pull you aside? What do they say? I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. That's good. Well, I, I want to know, but you're not going to tell me. That I'm not going to talk about. Okay, fair that, enough. <laughs> no matter what I do, that's something very personal. Okay. Uh, you want to know about the ceremony you're talking about? Yeah. No, I won't talk about that. Okay. Okay. No problem. No ifs, no buts. Becoming a made man is one of the highest honors in the Italian-American mafia. As you could tell... This is a particularly proud moment for Anthony. Other phrases you will have heard throughout this series include one of us, friends of ours, straightened out, baptised, and wise guy, all different ways to signify a made man. But just to clarify, a fully initiated member of the mafia can only be made if they are of Italian descent and sponsored by another made man. With this in mind, it'd be remiss of us not to bring up one glaring oversight. Perhaps you've been thinking about it the whole time you've been listening. A made man swears under the oath of a murder, a code of silence. So why has Anthony chosen to lift the lid on the inner workings of the Italian-American mafia? Why did he choose to write a book? And why did he allow a couple of podcasters in Melbourne the opportunity to construct a series? All of that will come to light at the end of this episode as we conclude Series 1 
of the Enforcer. Carmine was bringing in a lot of dope. Heroin by 100 pounds, 200 kilos, 300 kilos. And the commission told him, you got to stop. You got to cut it back. The National Commission. Carmine basically told him, go fuck themselves. I'm doing what I want. Well, there was a meeting that was called. And everybody was there, including the guys from the Bonanno family. And the word came down, Carmine Galante had to go. You can't talk to him. He won't listen. He's making it bad for everybody. The FBI was crawling all over everybody. No matter, no matter who you had protecting you, like in politics or in the police department, they had to step back. Because then you hook them up with drugs. It's a no, no, no-win situation. They put a hit on Carmine. They had to go to my grandfather to get approval. Because Carmine was my grandfather's younger cousin. My grandfather gave his okay, gave his blessing, as they say. But my grandfather said, you guys are not going to do it. My family's going to do it, meaning his blood relatives. He says, only blood kills blood. That was the way he blew. Only blood can kill blood, no strangers. So Carmine went out to uh, Joe and Mary's out in uh, Williamsburg. Nice restaurant. And in the back, you had an out, like you walked through the restaurant. And then you go in the back, and there's a backyard you could sit and eat over there. This place was always frequented, frequented by, there was judges at any given time eating in there. Uh, politicians, lawyers, district attorneys, FBI agents. You know, you had a whole mixture of people, but you had a lot of legitimate people like what I'm saying in there. So what happened, he's in there and he's having dinner, and not, excuse me, excuse me, he's having lunch with a cousin of his or whoever. And so a couple of guys came in from the back, so to speak. And they came in and they shot him. They shot his cousin and there was another guy with them. They blasted Carmine, and if you ever seen the pictures, they shot him through the eye, and he's laying on the floor. He still had the cigar. He still had the cigar in his mouth. And the guys who killed him, instead of running, they walked right through the right through the restaurant, walked right out. Car was waiting out front. They got in the car and drove away. Meanwhile, you got to remember one thing. Yeah, there's probably judges in there, politicians, DAs, a couple of cops, a couple of FBI agents. None of them made a move. So what does that tell you? They knew he was going to get hit. They wanted him dead. They didn't buy. Once he got killed, the big influx of the heroin that was coming in stopped immediately because he was the big importer bringing it all in. But it stopped. But as much as the FBI doesn't like us and the police don't like us and everything, but when it suits them, they'll let us get away with murder. You got to be serious. You got FBI agents in there. They see this guy got whacked. They could have pulled out their guns and caught the guys with their whatever. They let them walk right out of the place, into the car, and off they went. They drove off into the sunset, that was it. Nobody knows who did the killing, nobody knows what they look like, nobody remembers anything. Just that Carmine wound up dead. For those listening that are fascinated by Anthony's stories and have a distinct interest in the old days of the American Mafia, no doubt you'll be familiar with Carmine Galenti, a.k.a. Lilo, or The Cigar. You'd rarely, if ever, see him without a cigar in his mouth. And Lilo, that's the Sicilian term for cigar. Those infamous pictures of him lying dead in the backyard of Joe and Mary's restaurant in Brooklyn are astonishing. Cigar gritted between his teeth. Apparently, the former boss of the Bonanno family was so confident of his lofty status, he remarked, No one will ever kill me. They wouldn't dare. 
But as Anthony said, at the higher level of the five families, blood kills blood. No one was untouchable. Anthony was just about to learn all about this. And as famous American poet and civil rights activist Maya Angelou once said, you may not control all of the events that happened to you. My uncles, they were Shylock and all over Court Street, my Uncle Frank and my Uncle Sal. So I have my own Shylock business. So my Uncle Frank comes to me, he said he needed an extra $3,000 to give to this woman, Marie La Papa. She was a, a client of his. You know, he had like about 15 grand, whatever, ready. And she owned a travel agency. He says, give it a three. He goes, give me the three grand, I'll give it to her. He goes, you pick up the interest on it every week, and then she'll, she'll book your trips and get them at a discount. I said, all right, good. I gave him the three grand, and I went to the office a couple of times I met her. Never discussed business with her. Never. Just like, you know, I wanted to go, like, uh, to Vegas on a trip. I wanted to go here, or maybe I wanted to go down to Puerto Rico or whatever. And she would give me all these good prices. All right, but I never discussed any business with her whatsoever. Anyway... She turns around and she's bothering my uncle for another 5000 My uncle told him, I'm not giving it to you. You've been deep with me already for 18000 Then she goes to my uncle Sal. And she's talking to my uncle Sal. Well, I want 5000 I need 5000 And they're going back and forth. My uncle said, I'm not going to give it to you. He said, I'm not going to give it to you. He says, because, you know, you owe Frankie a lot of money. Now, my uncle Sal and my uncle Frank were cousins. So whatever happened, she went and she spoke to my uncle Frank. And my Uncle Frank and my Uncle Sal got together and they said, you know what? She's breaking balls. She's paying good. Give her the money. So they split the loan between them. So they gave her the money. So the woman, Maria La Papa, she's asking people in the neighborhood about me. Everybody's telling They're telling her all these fucking stories about me. That I'm the, I'm the enforcer. It's my Shylock money. It's this, it's that, whatever. P.S. What happened when my uncle forgot to tell me at first... After he had given her the loan, she stopped paying about a month after that. She stopped. She kept making excuses, making excuses. So Uncle Frank finally tells me, he goes, this board ain't paying. He goes, it's like fucking four weeks now. She didn't pay. My Uncle Sal tells me she didn't pay. I said, oh, yeah. I said I'm not going to go speak with her. I said, because as far as you know, we don't want it to know I had it. You know, that even $3,000 of it is mine. So with that, this went on for about maybe seven weeks. And my uncles reverted to using, uh, I guess you say threats or whatever. But it was a standard thing in the Shylock business. But what they didn't know, before they even hinted around about a threat, she went to the FBI. She told the FBI she's got Shylock money with the, with my uncle, with uh, my other uncle, with me. Meanwhile, she don't know shit about me. And she's telling them, well, loan sharks, with this, with that, and they've been threatening me. They never threatened her until near the end. That's when they threatened her. But all the while in between, they never threatened her. Now she's wearing a wire, and she happens to catch them, and they're threatening her. Uh, but she went to them a long time. She's, she's already been with the FBI about three weeks now. Hide, Anthony. The FBI are on your tail. Oh, boy, did he hide. In the most bizarre way possible. I found this quite funny, and you might too. So I said, all right. I said, I don't, like I said, I don't even know what's going on. So I'm down on Carroll Street. I'm by the diplomat, and I had a pager. And I get a page call. It's 07734. 
When you turn it upside down, it reads hello. That was like our 911 number. And I knew it came from my father. Well, this number show up. I says, Pop, what's up? He goes, where are you? I said, I'm down below. He says, get out of there. He goes, the FBI was just here looking for you. They got an arrest warrant for you. Never mind. Bye. Tell my cousin Mac I'm taking off. I said, the feds are looking for me. He says, I have no fucking idea. Jump in the car and I shoot up the Avenue H where my cousin Philly was and my cousin Bosco. And he had a car service. Three hours car service between Coney Island and East 10th Street. He says, what's going on? I said, Phil, the fucking agents are looking for me. He goes, he goes get to my house now. Because he lived on East 10th Street between H and the dead end. He goes, their fucking agents were here already. That they're coming back. So I said, I have no fucking idea. I shoot down. I go into his apartment. And he had a three-room apartment. He had a bedroom, a kitchen, and a living room. That's it. I was a single guy. So, you know, it was him and his girlfriends or whatever. He said, I said, I don't have no, I said, my old man called me and told me, now you tell me the FBI was up here. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I said, I'm trying to figure it out. About 10 minutes later, my cousin Bosco comes walking in. He goes, oh, you're here? I said, yeah, why? He goes, the fucking feds were at my house looking for you. They're all over the neighborhood. I said, nah, I said, there's something wrong. I said, I don't even know what's going on. So my cousin Phil says, you know what I'm going to do? He goes, I'm going to go get my car. Because I'm going to get you out of here. We'll take you somewhere. I said, all right. Now, as he's walking out of his apartment, he's on the first floor. You walk, there's a couple of steps you walk down, then you had the doors. But the doors had big panes of glass in them. My cousin sees FBI agents outside the fucking door of the building. Turns around, he walks back in, he goes, the fucking feds are outside. Now you got me fucking good. Where the fuck am I going to hide in here? Because I can't get out and go, I'm going to go through the whole fucking building. As I can't go under the bed, because you know they're going to look under the fucking bed. So my cousin Bosco comes up to Brad. He goes, go with the Castro convertible. because we can stick you in there. I look at this. I had no fucking choice because I don't know what it's about. They take the mattress and everything out. I go in. They put the mattress over me. They put the building. I hear the feds banging on the door. I says, you got to be fucking kidding me. So what do you think? He goes, can't they put your head down? And then they put the pillars down. Feds come in. Uh, you fill up. Yeah, we're looking for your cousin, Anthony Raimondi. Uh, Anthony the Forcer, Pluto, Anthony the Lightboard, come up with all these fucking names. Half of them I never fucking heard of. So my cousin says, yeah, look around. He goes, I got two more apartment. Where the fuck am I going to hide them? Meanwhile, my cousin Bosco, he decides to sit on the couch. Now he weighed about 175 pounds. I wasn't bad. They go in the bedroom and they look under the bed. Like, really? It's the most obvious fucking place. They look in the kid. They actually opened up the cabinets. I heard my cousin tell what the fuck you open up the cabinets for? You think I got him stuck in a cabinet? Because get the fuck out of here. That's my cabinets. That's my food. They actually look under the fucking sink. Like the size of me. I'm 200 and uh, I was 275 pounds. I'm going to be able to hide underneath the fucking sink at six foot two. Yeah, okay. Now they're in the living room and they're looking around the living room. You know, I'm stuck in the fucking couch. My cousin Philip weighs about 275 pounds. So he decides to sit down too. Now I got... Him on one side, I got Bosco on the other side. So I'm looking at uh, a rough estimate, uh, three, about 450 pounds fucking sitting on me. I says, and I'm praying to get, I'm playing to myself in my head, like, get the fuck out already. Let's get these fucking guys to go. The FBI's talking with him, and they say, all right, but if you see him, you tell him we're looking for him. My cousin says, all right. If they didn't go when they went, I, any minute I was going to jump up and say, take me just to get some fucking air. I couldn't even fucking breathe in there. They go out and the door closes. Philip gets up. He says, gee, Bosco, I wonder why they're looking for our cousin. I, that, I knew what that meant. They were still outside the fucking door. I wasn't coming out of the couch. I stood in there about 
maybe another 15 minutes, but I was able to move the pillow. Nobody was sitting on it. My cousin gave me the old clay. He says, nobody's here. And so I said, you know what? I'm even going to attempt leaving, so I'm going to stay here. He was better off to do that. If anything, we'll go back in the couch. My cousin Matt comes to the house, and he says, I got in touch with Frank Lopez. He was our attorney. He goes, Frank says, he goes, do you know a woman named Maria La Papa? I said, Maria La Papa. I said, I know. I was just, oh, yeah. I said, the woman, she's a uh, travel agency on Court Street. He goes, she's the rat. The fuck she ratting on me for? I never fucking spoke to you. I never fucking spoke to her. I never talked about nothing except getting, you know, to go on a trip. He goes, tomorrow morning, he says, go take it to Federal Plaza, turn yourself in. He said, and then Frank will meet you there. We'll make bail and get you out, and we'll see what the fuck is what. I said, all right. Then he tells me, he goes, your Uncle Frank got picked up. That's Uncle Frank. He goes, he got picked up. He goes, Barbara got picked up. He goes, your Uncle Sally and your Aunt Mary got picked up. What the fuck is going on? He goes, she's the rat. I said, it's all right. I don't know what the hell's going on. It was time for Anthony to suck it up. Stop guessing why he was getting pinched. Get his legal approach down pat and walk straight into FBI headquarters like a deer in the headlights. Although it didn't quite end up being as straightforward as he thought it would be. Next day I get up, shower up, get dressed, boop, we get in the car, me, him and Bosco go about the federal plaza. Now, you got to picture this. You got the FBI looking for me. I walk into federal plaza, I walk up to the receptionist, there's my fucking picture behind her with a $50,000 fucking reward. And there's people walking back and forth saying good morning to me. Okay, good morning. He says, yes, can I help you? I said, yes, my name is Anthony Ramondi. Uh, Special Agent Walter Smith has been looking for me. I'm here to see him. She said, go upstairs to the third floor. Tell to my cousin, you got to be fucking kidding me. I go by the elevator. There's a wanted poster. And there's my picture on the wanted poster. Again, by the elevator. All right. I go upstairs. I go to the receptionist. How are you doing? Who are you? Same thing. My name is Anthony Bermundi. Special Agent Walter Smith's looking for me. I came here to see what he wants, what I turned myself in. Behind it, there's another fucking post for me, $50,000 reward. He goes, all right, have a seat and wait. My cousin Bosco goes, come here. He goes, lean up against the wall here. I said, well, I go, lean up against the wall. I lean up against the wall. He moves. I'm leaning up against my wanted poster, $50,000. I just got to be fucking kidding me. People are walking by. They're looking at me. And they're looking at the poster. And they're going, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I said, what is this, a fucking joke? I said, let me tell you something. I said, Philip, if nobody comes out here in the next five minutes, I'm getting the fuck out of here. It's got to be a bad fucking joke. A couple of minutes go by. All of a sudden, I see a fucking door burst open. And fucking FBI agents come running out. I don't mean, you wonder who the fuck they're looking for. Boom! They fucking tackle me to the floor to my two cousins on the side. And this... Motherfucker guy goes, we got you. I fucking got you. You got what? You cocksucker. I says, I heard you were looking back, came and turned myself in. We fucking got you. Yeah, okay. Special Agent Walter Smith reminds me of someone who jumps on a sporting team's bandwagon when they start winning trophies. And in some moronic and pathetic way, they try and convince you they've been a supporter for many years, well before the success came along. Short and term, a glory hunter. We all know someone a bit like that and I'm sure you're probably thinking about them right now. Anyway, for Anthony, he wouldn't lose much sleep over whether he got pinched or turned himself in. The reality was daunting. Time behind bars. Now, they arrest me. I'm in Federal Plaza, and now they're taking me to court later on in the day. Meanwhile, I hear that when Special Agent Walter Smith came to my house, 
started yelling and screaming at my mother. And my father went to hit him, and they pulled guns out on my father. I said, nah, I'm, I'm fucking, my horns are twisted. I said, Frank, you get me out on bail? He said, I'll get you out on bail. So we go before the fucking magistrate, and he's there. Uh, to our exhaustive and our incentive resources, we finally captured him. We captured Anthony Raimondi. We captured Anthony Pluto. We captured uh, Anthony the Leg Breaker. We captured Big Anthony. We captured Anthony Cigars. The judge goes, how many people did you capture? He goes, I see one guy in front of me. He goes, well, these are all his street names. So he says, well, what's the case? And he tells him it was Lone Shark and there was threats made to the woman, blah, blah, blah. He says, and he's a threat to society. He was suspicion on homicides and gangland killings and so on and so forth. I moved no bail. Magistrate says, I agree, no bail. So now my lawyer goes, excuse me, Your Honor. He goes, it's my turn to speak now. Judge says, yes. The magistrate goes, but he goes, I don't know what you're going to say. He goes, just bear with me. So he walks over to Special Agent Walter Smith. He goes, Mr. Special Agent Walter Smith, I want to ask you one question. Did you capture Mr. Raimondi or did he turn himself in when he heard you were looking for him? Guy didn't answer. Didn't say a word. So Frank Lopez tells him, he goes, maybe you didn't hear me the first time. I'm going to say it again. Did you actually capture him or did he turn himself in that he was out of the state? He was out of state. He came in and he went right to Federal Plaza and then he went upstairs to the third floor and he was waiting for you and you just come charging out and tackle him to the floor. Guy didn't answer him. Judge says, especially the spit, you have to answer. He wouldn't answer. So Frank says, I make a motion for bail, Your Honor. Gives a billion dollar bail. I said, can you make bail? And I hear in the background, yeah, I got the money. Who else? Abraham Gritz fucking behind me because he had a bail bondsman place and he pays the bail and judge tells me I'm released on bail. I'm watching, excuse me, Your Honor, can I say something to Special Agent Walter Smith? Judge looks at me, he goes, yes, he says, but choose your words carefully. So I did, I choose them real carefully. So he's going like this to me. I said, don't wave your finger at me. I said, let me tell you something. I said, you Donkey, fucking German, kraut, fucking Hitler, motherfucker. If I was there, the judge's back, go, you ever dare when you threaten my mother and you pull the guns on my father, I'll cut your fucking head off. Judge is banging the gun. Get your client out of here before I fucking have him arrested for contempt of court and I pull his bail. I said, you motherfucker, you. I said, you pick up my mother, she's sick, and my father, you pull guns on my father because you defend my mother. The judge heard that. He says, what? So now Frank goes like this to me. It's just, Your Honor, maybe you didn't know, but when they came to the house, Special Agent Walter Smith was calling Mrs. Raimondi your guinea, your greaseball and stuff, and he raised, he went to pick his hand up like he was going to smack her, and his father, Mr. Raimondi, came in between them, and they pulled guns out on him. Judge goes to him, is this true, Special Agent Smith? The guy didn't answer him again. Judge turned around and said, I want to see you in my chambers immediately. He said, you got the bail? He says, get out of here before I change my mind. Anthony could breathe a sigh of relief, for now. But more importantly, what was on those tapes? Would he be incriminated? And did he actually stand a legitimate chance of beating the impending charges that were soon to be laid down to him? Let's keep things moving. Right, I walked out. I got down to the house and I said, what the hell's going on? And then I listened to the tapes. They arrested my uncle and the Barbara. They arrested my uncle Sal and my Aunt Mary. And on the tapes, you hear Maria Papa's talking to people in the neighborhood, and they're telling them that 
I'm the brains of the, the, I'm the boss of the Shylock business. I'm an enforcer and this and that. And I done this, I done that. And I've killed people, all this fucking crazy shit. Now I'm fucking pissed. I went into the fucking neighborhood. I said, why you motherfuckers open up your mouth about me? Why don't you go talk about somebody else? Half of you don't even fucking know me and you open your fucking mouth. Then when you listen to the tapes, you hear my uncles are talking. Yeah, that's our nephew. He's coming up very big in the rackets. He's coming up real quick and fast. Nothing really incriminating. But, you know, they talk, They were talking about me as if, like, I was their son and they were proud of me. You know what I'm saying? But nothing they said was incriminating. Just that I was coming up in the rackets quick. You know, like that. But nothing that I was threatening, nothing that I had the money. It was everything that they got from the neighborhood. Anthony was quietly confident. Could they expunge all alleged offenses? Let's find out. Now, I go to trial. Okay. I'm not on any tapes now. I'm not on not one fucking tape, nothing, nothing at all. My Uncle Sal goes to trial, and he got a plea. He got five years probation. My Aunt Mary, I think, got three or five years because she was involved somehow. Just because she was there talking with the woman. They were talking like women talk, and they got my aunt involved, this fucking piece of shit that she is, this Miller poppy. Get my aunt involved in this shit. I go to trial. I got six counts against me. Loan shark and extortion conspiracy, organized crime, racketeering, and terroristic threats. I'm not even on the fucking tape. How the fuck do I have all this against me? So now I have Judge Near. Nice guy. He was a real nice guy, Judge Near. And my prosecuting attorney was a Douglas Bim. I'm on six counts on the indictment. I beat all the counts except one. One fucking count. Now I'm looking at 20 years. So Bim, Doug, Douglas Bim, who was the prosecuting attorney, is, ma- is maxing it out. I want the whole 20 years, no parole. I'm sitting there, I'm saying, I'm not even on the fucking tape. The fuck is going on over here? So Judge Nia, he was a nice guy, and he says, well, you know, I got to consider the extent of the crime and this. So Frank Lopez turns around and says, excuse me, Your Honor, Mr. Raimundi was under the age of 24 when it happened. He falls under the Youth Defenders Act. Half fucking Douglas Bim, his eyeballs almost came out of his head, which means the Youth Defenders Act, the most he could give me is five years. I was under 24. The official conviction was for the following violation. Title 18, USC, Section 892, making extortionate extensions of credit. Whoever makes extortionate extensions of credit or conspires to do so shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. The offence date was January 1977, so Anthony would indeed fall under the Youth Offenders Act by a mere nine months. And that was that. Five years probation. But as Anthony said in his book, the judge was no dummy. He knew I was going to fuck up and be back in court soon again. I had an Uncle Tony. His name was Tony Zarika. He was uh, married to my mother's sister, my Aunt Judy. He wasn't an uncle by blood. It was just by marriage. Anyway, my aunt dies. And he met another woman and everything. And he got married. This woman, Carol. And every Saturday night and Friday night, I had a standing table at the Georgetown Inn in Brooklyn. It was a place you go up there, you have dinner, and there was a, you know, you had a live band, you could dance, you could listen to music. No, it had two rooms in there. If I wasn't there by 10 o'clock, then they would give the table away, because they knew if I didn't come by 10, I wasn't coming. 
So it's one night I was up there and I had Bridget with me. And I'm up in the Georgetown Inn. And I'm having dinner. And I see my Uncle Tony comes in with a couple of people. And he's sitting there. He's got the table next to mine. So I put the both tables together. He orders dinner and stuff. And there was a bartender up there, a guy named George Ferrungi. So my uncle goes, because I got to go and see George about something. All right. Now, good. He goes, he's one of my clients for the Charlotte. All right, good. So he's over there talking with him. And they bring the food. So they bring the food. And I'm looking at my watch, waiting for the food's going to start getting cold. And he's talking with this guy. So he looks at me and I go like this to him. Come on, you know, what the fuck you waiting for? Come on, the food is here. Fuck this guy already. So he goes like this with his hand. He needs to be there in a minute. And he comes back. And he says, uh, I lean over and say, what's the matter? He says he's late on the payments. I said, what do you want to do about it? I said, no, no, he goes, I'll handle this. All right. So we have dinner. No problem. Had a nice night. We take off. I come back up about a week later. And I'm at the Georgetown Inn. And there's Carmine Labardoza. And there's uh, George Ferrangi is over there. And Sonny Francis. Sonny's out on parole. So George says, Anthony, I want to speak to you. So I said, yeah, what? So I go in the back with him to where the parking lot is. You see that Cadillac over there? He says, yeah, what about it? He goes, it's brand new. I can get that for you for about maybe five, $7,000. I said, how are you going to give me that brand new Cadillac for five or 7000 He goes, we robbed them. We changed the numbers, the serial numbers, changed everything, and we registered up in Albany. I said, George, listen, I could go buy one. And if I want a new Cadillac, I just go to my friend who owns a dealership and he gives it to me at cost. I don't need to fuck around with this. That's all I said. No more than that. I come out. I'm talking with Carmine for a couple of minutes and Sonny Francis. George Ferrangi comes over. Yeah, I said my nice and easy them goodbye and I was leaving. I leave. But just when everything seemed to be going so smoothly, it was this casual encounter with George Ferrangi that would lead to Anthony's demise. Now, I had the club, the Desiree Club, going on. So it's Labor Day weekend. And I'm sitting in the club, me and Joe, and, uh, Joe Z. And they're at the desk, and on the desk I got money. And under here I had a compartment with a sort-of shotgun. I had a desk over here with the drawer open where I had a forty-five in there. And Joe Z would sit in the chair over there and we're counting the fucking money. Now, everything's going fine. I don't know nothing about any pinches, no nothing. I'm still on probation. I'm bringing my probation officer slips from the car service, show him that I'm working at the car service. And he says, how could you be making all this money? You don't have no cars there. I says, you're right, I don't. I said, all my drivers have their own cars, and I take 25%. So he needs to say uh, Ronald Ketchum wasn't filled with that. But he couldn't say no because I even filled out my taxes that way. So there's no way he could fuck me with that. So I'm sitting there. I got a pile of money on the fucking table, the shotguns under here. Two guys come walking in, dressed in regular clothes. Come walking in, they pull out their guns. I look at Joe, I says, I put my hand up, I says, there's the money. I says, take it. One of them says, we're not here for the money. And I look at Joe, he's like, oh, you got to be fighting some fucking hit. Either it's on you or it's on me. Even if it's on me or on you, both of us got to go, no witnesses. So I'm talking like this. I'm saying, you know, wait a minute. Let, let's talk about this, fellas. Let's take it easy. I'm bringing my hands down. These guys ain't saying shit about leave your hands where they are or anything. But, you know, let's take it. What do you guys want? I mean, you know, there's the money right there. And I got the shotgun in my fucking hand. I'm starting to come out. 
Joe was sitting over here, and he's got the forty. He's got his hand on the forty-five. Now I'm looking, and these two guys are standing there, and they had the big glass window on the front of the car, shutting the door. Who do I see walking across? Ronald Ketchum, my probation officer, my parole officer. I said, oh, fucking great. This cocksucker's coming in here to check on me. These two guys are here to do a hit. This prick will wind up getting killed with a straight bullet from one of them. I'm going away for fucking life. Now I'm like biding my time with this guy. The door opens. The guy turns. As he's turning around, I'm bringing up the gun like this. He goes, oh, Mr. Ketchum, glad to see you. Oh, that chewed the thing underneath that made kicking the desk. Oh, thank God. I want to know I shot that Joe's he just dropped and closed the door. I said, what the fuck is going on? Now they pull their badges out. I said, I thought it was a fucking hit. So the probation officer looks at me, parole officer looks at me. I said, I thought it was a, th- a robbery first. Said, There's the money. Then the guy said, We're not here for the money. I thought it was a fucking hit. He goes, No, you're under arrest. Took my jewelry. Goes, yeah, take me. Fuck, you kidding me? Joe, get the lawyer. They arrest me. They take me to 26 Federal Plaza. They put me in the room. Who do I see in the room? My cousin Frankie Zarika. My Uncle Tony Zarika. And I see this other guy that I never met before, Johnny Gamarano. Never met him before. Met him that day. I said, what the fuck's going on? My uncle goes, I don't know. You don't know. I said, they fucking pinched me. They pinched me. I said, what the fuck? I said, we ain't doing nothing. You know, I'm not doing business with you. You know, you belong in our family, but you got your own bookmaking business. What the fuck's going on? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. More confusion again. But come on. Really? It's kind of funny, the whole playing dumb trick. But the Mafia were masters of this. They knew what to say and when to say it. And they also knew when to shut their mouths. This was one of those situations. Play it cool, say nothing, and listen intently to your lawyer. The next part, listen to the judge. Anthony was right. It wouldn't take long before he'd be back in court. Now, uh, Josie makes a call. My cousin gets the lawyer. My cousin Matt gets the lawyer. They had me in all weekend, Labor Day weekend. They, they, were fuck, they fucked with my whole weekend anyway. Bridget's going nuts looking for me. And I got in touch with my family. I told them, tell Bridget that they came and they pinched me. This is okay. Labor Day comes and goes. The next day we're in court. Going to court. And the DA, he's talking. And he's saying... Uh, it's a loan shark and extortion conspiracy and organized crime case with uh, the informant and the witnesses of George Ferrangi. I'm saying George Ferrangi. Ferrangi, Ferrangi. I said, where are I? I said, I'm not sure the last name. And then they said, bartender up in the Georgetown Inn. George, I says, wait a minute. He asked me if I want to buy a stolen car. I told him, no, I can get him brand new. I never discussed no business with him. So I told my uncle, I says, what the fuck is this all about? This guy's your customer. My uncle goes, I don't know. I said, you don't know. Okay. I knew something was fucking up. The FBI were relentless and unyielding. They would not give up until Anthony was behind bars. More tapes would shed light on Anthony's latest dealings with the law. We come out on bail. Frank Lopez goes to get the paperwork. And there's the tapes. There's 120 tapes, okay? On the tape, the night that I told you about, when I was tapping my wrist, tell my uncle like that the food was here. When I did that, I tap, went like this, and I tapped in my watch, 
George Ferrangi asks my uncle. My uncle put up his hand like this with one finger, me and I'll be there in a minute. But the food was there. I don't want to get cold. George Ferrangi turns around and asks my uncle, what did your nephew mean when he was tapping the watch? When he was tapping his hand, rather, he went like that. He said, well, it means that he's going to give you some time. He's not going to kill you. He said, now you got to pay the money. Did my uncle saying this, but me, I got nothing to do with this fucking case at all. And he says, you know, he, he's, and my uncle turns around and tells me, he goes, remember them three guys that got killed two months ago? He says, yeah, he goes, my nephew is the one who put the hit, who did the hit on them. Now this guy George is shitting in his fucking pants. So he says, if you don't give me the money, he goes, he personally is going to kill you. And then I'm in the tapes. I'm a loan shark. I'm an enforcer. I'm, this, this is my uncle. Well, he was my uncle through marriage because he was married to my mother. He's talking about me. Now, when this came to light, I wanted to fucking kill him. I wanted to kill him. So I said, now, you're putting up the fucking, you're giving it to Abraham Rich. You're giving him the fucking money for my bail bond and, you, for my bail bond, and you're paying for the fucking lawyer. I got nothing to do with this fucking case. I just came up that night with Bridget like I always do. We're having dinner. You come in with some people. I said, let's put the tables together. I got nothing to do with this cocksucker. You got my name splattered all over the fuck. 120 tapes. My name is splattered on 60 of the fucking tapes. The fuck are you kidding me? It's your fucking guy. Uh, with that, we had to, you know, we had to get the, I got the lawyer. I got Frank Lopez. I had Bobby Blossner, Frank Lopez, Ira London. Forgot, what was the other guy's name? Stanley Myers. Had them all. My uncle had them, and then he didn't want to start paying the lawyers anymore. So my cousin Matt got involved. He says, Anthony can't touch you because he's got heat on him. He goes, I'll fucking bury you. You're paying for it. You got him in this fucking jam up. Now, I got to face probation with Judge Nia. What time, how much am I getting? Take three years to run concurrently with whatever Judge Nia is going to give you. I feel okay, great. I got about two years left. I get the same deal. I go before Judge Neal, five years to run fucking wild with the three years to run wild, meaning you do the five years, then you do the three years. What? The fuck did I get this? Well, this is what everybody's talking about. You got this. So I had to do five years. So altogether, I got eight years. I'm saying, you got to be fucking kidding me. I'm not on the tapes. I'm not talking. You got 120 fucking tapes, but my name is all over the tapes. Everybody's saying things about me. And so I'm looking at, I said, five fucking years? For what? What the fuck did I do? If I did something, you know, I did it, I got to go away. I didn't do a fucking thing. Finally, the FBI had got their man. And this would signal the very beginning of the authorities starting to win the battle with the five families. It's been a slow and steady race. But in the 1980s, there were a series of major mob convictions and defections, which had a crippling effect on the leadership of the Mafia in the 90s, as technology continued to aid their cause. For Anthony, prison didn't scare him one bit. He could consider himself lucky, but the FBI were shrewd operators. Despite him locked away, they sent in a former friend of Anthony's to try and make him play. I go into Danbury, and I looked at the place and said, ain't a fucking prison, it's a Boy Scout camp. What it is, is the buildings make up a wall. You understand? And everybody's got their own uh, room. They only have room that had, that had cubes. The cube has got like three sides and you got the opening and you got the two bunks in there and you walk in and out all day long. You walk in and out of the cell house all day long. And if you go to some of the other units where they had, they called themselves, there was no gate on there. 
So it was open. Okay, fine. I go to R&D, which is receiving a discharge. Vinnie DiNapoli was there. Nunzi Provenzano was there. Uh, Jerry Salerno was there. A lot of guys I knew. I come out, and I'm on the compound, and I'm walking with Vinnie DiNapoli, and we're talking. And who I see coming towards me? Pete Martell. Pete Martell, Petey Rayo, Petey Matza, take one of the names you want. He's the prick who ratted on us when we had the scam with the Vatican going with the faulty stocks. They pinched him on something, on something else, and they gave, they sent him to Danbury. And Vinny DiNapoli says, I see, he goes, you see who's coming? I say, he goes, don't do nothing, Anthony. He goes, they will lock you up for fucking good. He came near me. He just looked at me. He was going to say something. I just turned around and walked away, me and Vinny. I said, I'm not even talking to this guy. I don't want him to be near him. I ain't talking to him. He came up to me so many times, this guy, I walked away. Then when we were in the chow hall, sitting down, having eaten. I'm there with, all my, with the guys I know. He come and sit down. I get up and I move someplace else. I kept a wide berth from this guy. I said, they put me in this prison over here with him. They want me to do something to him so they can lock me up for good. I had no fucking way. Because that ain't going to fucking happen. For the record, Anthony didn't stuff up. He did his time. Five years, in fact. With the other three on parole. And he went home. So that was that. Anthony Salvatore Luciano Raimondi was out for good. He didn't go back to Shylocking. He put the numbers book away. He wasn't making any collections. He was done. Anthony was out. No more gangster life. But why? Me, I walked away like my friends told me. My friends went to prison uh, and they're doing life. Three quarters of them now are dead. They died in prison. Another group of my friends, they're dead, died of natural causes or they got whacked. And guys who were supposedly friends of mine wound up in the witness protection program. But the guys who were still alive, they told me, do what you want to do and get the fuck out of here. Because these kids, these young kids now that we got coming up, they're going to send you away. And the government, and this is true, they would give me up in a fucking heartbeat, these kids. I walked away. I didn't have no hard feelings with anybody, but I'm not going to be, no kid's going to tell me what the fuck to do. And then all of a sudden he tells you what to do. Oh, yeah, he's a big tough guy. You want to make him and he never did a piece of work. And me, I'm like a dinosaur there. I mean that... The older guys, who are, that they're ancient, and I'm a dinosaur. And when I get older and they're dead, I'll be fucking ancient. You know what I'm They don't have them like us anymore. All these new kids now, main thing they're all into is dope. Strictly all drugs. Drugs from top to bottom. Coke, heroin, no bookmaking, no Shylock, no. All fucking dope and crack and all this other shit they want to make their money with. Listen, I don't tell a man what to do to make his money. But you're going against everything that we stood for years ago. Everything that we'd done. And then everybody says, well, why'd you write the book? Why'd I write the book? Because I wrote it. Because of all the bullshit that's going on. And I'm telling you, it is bullshit. They don't, they don't value the old ways anymore. The way it was, truthfully, and I'll tell you this honestly. If the way it was in the 60s, 70s, and even in the early 80s, if it would have still been like that now, I would have never did this book. I would have never did the book. I'd still be involved in doing what I was doing. I would have never made this book at all. But they all changed. Because a lot of the guys, they went away. And either they left their sons or their nephews in charge. And they got more and more of their friends that they put in. 
And they keep going and going and they create more fucking problems. And all they know how to do is walk around flashing a fucking car. Hell yeah, he's this, he's that, and he's got money. And then as soon as they get pinched, they fucking give you up. The Enforcer is a Podular Media production in conjunction with 360DMG and recorded at Carpe VM Studios, New York. All music copyright is owned by Epidemic Sound. Narration, storyboarding and audio production by Rob Crawford. Scripting and storyboarding by Adrian Horton. Interviewing and research by Robert Huxley. On-site recordings from Charles DeBeneditis, Rod Marcus, Rod Nunez and Jeff Rowell. The Enforcer is based on When the Bullet Hits the Bone, the amazing and possibly true life story of the last Mafia Enforcer. All accounts and claims are that of Anthony Raimondi.